Hello. Hello. How are Hello you? everybody out there in uh, the wide world listening to us presently or subsequently. So, uh, and my name's Tom, Tom Lynn, uh, you know, and uh, I've had this ch- channel for a while. I made a few, it's been, it's been kind of, uh, kind of, uh, word, uh, not in the hiatus. But uh, but a uh, long hiatus. I I made some initial contributions to it by way of reviewing some some interesting texts. Um, but you know, then it's just sort of been latent. Uh, but I was thinking to sort of fire it back up again, and we're going to do some conversations instead of reviewing the text. And thus, I have my friend here, Stephen uh, Walpy, with me. Um, Quixotic Musings, that is the, the name of the channel, the podcast. And that name was elected consciously because uh, I resonate with precisely those sorts of romantic notions that follow under the umbrella of the Quixotic after Don Quixote in Cervantes' eponymous fancy word alert. A novel, eponymous, um, not Quixote, a person who pursues ideals that are often thought to be fanciful, romantic, beyond realization. Uh, and I resonate with those ideals. I think those kinds of ideals are especially uh, needed at the, the present moment here, the 6th of January, 2021, where uh, merely pragmatic or practical orientation falls short uh, in, in my mind of what is needed to move beyond the, uh, the mire in which we, we find ourselves. And uh, Stephen here, kind of a simpatico, I think, is also a person of quixotic disposition, though perhaps in a somewhat uh, more gentle manner than, than, than me. And uh, you're, of course, welcome to to renounce that characterization if you like, right? But uh, uh, we like talking about these kinds of things nonetheless. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, uh, I must confess I'd never heard the word quixotic until about uh, maybe two minutes ago. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's not uncommon that you uh, will teach me a new word. And I guess today's no different. So, uh, but yes, after having heard the word and your definition of it, I will... Uh, I will happily agree that this is an accurate, uh, an accurate description of myself. So what is, not to put you on the spot, because you can turn it around and ask me, mm-hmm. but what, you know, would you say is a, is a commitment that despite having a sort of urgency to it, will typically find uh, or be dismissed as as quixotic um so can you can you throw that question one more time it was kind of a long uh, what long is something what is what is what is a, a, a quixotic desire or aim for a person in today's world um well, uh, the first one that comes to mind, uh, 
just off the top of my head, and this might not be the best example, but um, uh, one that I see uh, or that I would like to see manifest is um, the the valuing um, of, um, I would say, you know, everyone's opinion or at least different viewpoints, um, regardless of credential um the the validity of um you know someone's stance or someone's outlook or, or worldview um you know the t- taking taking the uh the the worldview of you know the the um you know the homeless person uh as valid just as you would the you know perspective of uh you know, a senator, or a, a surgeon, or a, an engineer, um, or the the perspective of a you know a, a homemaker, or um, just of, of of all people, um, and not not a reliance uh, upon um, some externally uh, given credential um, or uh, a hierarchical um uh b- basis of uh validating someone's belief or stance or statement um so i regret i regret to say that uh, currently i i i feel that that might be a little bit quixotical unfortunately um or quixotic I, is maybe the correct word but um well i, I, I mean quixotical that's fine too I think you can both say them. Yeah, I think you can say them both. Just like you will hear people refer to something as problematic or problematical. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that is a sadly uh, adept reply to, to the question. Uh, as you were giving your answer, it occurred to me that you were really enumerating two sort of distinct uh, things. One is just the notion that you can have a civil conversation between people of disparate viewpoints that somehow will be progressive in terms of the exchange of those viewpoints without, in the same time, stimulating uh, uh, deep hostility or division between those individuals. This, this notion of a rational, though uh, dissenting discourse seems to increasingly be, have kind of like an aura of the romantic around it and the quixotic. Uh, then the, the, the second thing, which is related to, but sort of distinct from that first ideal, is the idea that we all have a native intelligence, a native rationality that is capable of navigating the universe and coming to valuable, legitimate positions on any question or set of questions without having to rely for the attainment of those positions upon some kind of specialized knowledge or expertise or wisdom. 
I think that both of those things are going on uh, in terms of ideals which seem to us quixotic. And uh, now I will say to just inflect my reply with a note of optimism that uh, there is a tension between what is often described as the state of affairs in which we live by mainstream and even some less than mainstream media outlets as a state of affairs of just irresolvable conflict, controversy, uh, and all about madness and division, right? And there is a good deal of that going on, right? As uh, perhaps in some part uh, testify, evidenced by the events of the day. But that presentation notwithstanding, when I go about my like day-to-day life, I do not actually encounter <laughs> this level of incivility <laughs> that we are told is at hand or in play, right? And I have a lot of interface with the general public and my job and, you know, I'm just a, a rather public person by disposition and uh, and as such I have the the, 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 the opportunity of, of acquaintance and friendship with people of widely varying perspectives. And I have on many occasions been able to have very reasonable conversations with many of these people and despite those disagreements. And so uh, hope is not lost altogether, right? There, there actually exists in the world a lot of uh, remnants and possible embers that can be stoked to point toward a reattainment of these of these ideals of reasonable conversation without relying on the pretension of a certification or some specialized expertise. Yeah, and, and I... Uh, we'll go, go on. Well, I, just to interject, um, to add to the points that you made about... Um, The, the fact that you know all people have a all individuals have a native wisdom and have an, an inherent ability to um, to help help each other and help themselves uh, solve problems and that people are are very resilient um, and people have um, uh, you know people are able to um, solve for the most part i think uh their own problems um without uh, or with minimal involvement of, of institutions that was kind of the primary um point that you had reiterated but i think another equally valid point if not maybe even more pr- uh, profound point is just the the idea that all humans um you know that that I mean that all, not only all humans but all all life but for the sake of this we could say you know all humans um, all people uh, every single individual has a, a value um, 
and uh, for, um, I think most people would probably agree with that statement. Although, um, in practice, that that seems to sometimes get lost, um, you know, and it's it's obvious in you know the voices that are heard, um, you know, the, who's given the you know the 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 most stage on the microphone or who's given the most uh, speaking time or the loudest speaker or however you want to put it. But um, I think, you know, I think that uh, some of the most interesting uh, perspectives I've ever gained were from, you know, people that, you know, some people wouldn't even want to talk to simply because of, you know, the, the stereotypes that they would have about, you know, speaking to someone that, you know, whatever fill in the blank might not have been from a, a similar um economic status or political affiliation, someone who you might have thought was uh, someone that you, you might have presumed was ignorant per se, or um, someone that maybe would just looked a little shady and maybe they uh, didn't have the best hygiene and they were homeless. But nevertheless, all of these people, you know, have, they have a knowledge and sometimes a knowledge of things that you don't. Um, and yet, even though they might not have, you know, some fancy credential, uh, there's still, as you said, a, is a wisdom um, and a, a knowledge um, and an experience and, and a value to each individual person. So, I mean, it's your, your, on one level, what you're saying, I, I think, could be almost considered uh, generic, right? Like, well, who's going to, who's going to argue that? Like, who's going to contend that? Right? Very few people I think will actively resist that point. Um, at least, <laughs> at least in public, right? But um, it affords me the opportunity to bring up, uh, well, it's, it's about, it's not so present in the, the headlines as it were at the moment, but it was, very current uh, several months to a year, year and a half ago or so is like the tension between the phrase black lives matter and then everyone matters. And I don't think you were trying to bring this issue up, but in a roundabout way will connect with our uh, prior iteration of points about uh, discourse and, and value and so forth. So, the assertion black lives matter is advanced, I would say, to indicate that the manner in which this society operates broadly acts contrary to that proposition. Whatever lip service is given when you look at the statistics, whether it's in terms of rates of imprisonment or general health or economic benefit or or, or or political empowerment, education, and the list will go on. Uh, people uh, who happen to be black also are subject to unreasonable demands, duress, so forth. They are at the uh, they, they are they are they are uh, victims. I, I hesitate to use the word victims, but just to finish the sentence of institutional racism and this is this is and it is it is with an eye to moving beyond the specter of institutional racism that i feel the vast majority of people in the black lives movement are committed the uh the 
the ascent of the Black Lives Matter did, of course, as all movements will, uh, elicit a counter response with people wanting to posit that all lives matter. Now, obviously, there's no logical incompatibility between those terms, right? But rhetorically, uh, the notion all lives matter would bring a sense of offense or insult uh, uh, in, in many quarters because it seems to nullify what was being suggested by those who want to, you know, advance uh, the, the black, uh, you know, the, the exponents of the Black Lives Movement. <clears throat> what they what they're saying, right? And uh, really, uh, the, the sadness is that you have a, a kind of two people talking past each other in, in this regard. Um, How does this connect? And I, I, I'm just sort of going on here, so please feel free to interject. Right? You might ask, well, how does this connect with the aforementioned notion of um, civil dis, uh, discourse being a quixotic ideal? And I would posit it connects in this regard, in that despite the fact that the two sides of the debate, as posited, those who want to emphasize that black lives matter and those who want to raise a banner saying all lives matter, um, despite the fact that there's a logical coherence between those positions, the two are seen as uh, inimical and respectively, they have a lot of difficulty communicating. And it may be because the rules of conversation, quote unquote, the rules of conversation are something which have been uh, lost in our, or not completely lost, but which have sort of fallen into uh, the margins with respect to how our culture operates, right? And the idea here in terms of one particular rule of conversation that could be advanced is that uh, one should always hear one's opponent charitably. That is, if someone is saying something that is at odds with what you're saying, you need to hear what they're saying in a manner which does not implicitly demonize their position. Yeah. Or give, so, give them the benefit of the doubt, perhaps. Yes. That's, a, that's perhaps another way of phrasing it. Uh, but it seems that the, the, the capacity to do that has been attenuated in our cultural discourse. And that, that example, I think, sort of puts that into a certain relief. Um, I mean, how, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, to comment on um, kind of a lot of what you just said, uh, I don't know if it was if maybe it was Jim Carrey uh, or who's, some, someone. It was, a, it was a, an actor, a movie star, had a quote uh, um uh, something to the extent of um, uh, m- most people would realize the world is a, 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 a much better place if they would just turn off their TV and talk to their neighbor. Uh, some, something, some, something to that extent. But um, I think that the, 
the main the the media that we consume and i I don't know that i don't know if i can say increasingly I, i think it's always been kind of controversial by nature because it's you know just seeking to get you to watch it um it just wants your eyes really it doesn't really its primary goal is not really to um you know, necessarily deliver the truth or deliver something positive or helpful or useful. It's, it's really, its primary goal is just to sustain itself and it'll do that whatever way it can. So if it can show you something positive and you'll watch great, if it'll show you something divisive and you'll watch great, it, 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 the media in that regard doesn't, doesn't really care, at least not the, the ratings, um, system that that they that's used um to drive what what's you know broadcast but um i think that um things you know that are presented to us in the media they're they're generally um it's there to get some kind of a reaction because if it can get a reaction out of you then you know, you, you, then you're, you're going to be maybe more likely to watch it, um, um, or talk about it. Um, but I think, you know, it's a flawed, it's a flawed way of framing it. Uh, it's a, it's a very conflict, conflicted way, uh, a conflict heavy way of framing the world, because even though there is conflict and there are obviously differing viewpoints, I think that most people, uh, agree on far more and have far more in common than they would disagree upon or that they have un, unalike. Yeah, pe- people are far more common than they are uncommon, I guess is another way to put it. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me when I say yeah. it. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, quite often, I mean, you know, you find yourself in a, a you know, scrolling on Facebook or, uh, you know, watching the news and it just kind of seems like it's a, you know, as we've talked about before, a, a binary presentation of, okay, well, look at this, look at this, you know, silly person over here saying this thing. And then on the other side is the, the, the other silly side of that coin. When in reality, most people would probably, uh, you know, in talking to another person uh, would come to some type of common ground in most circumstances where they would agree on most things or would it would um, arrive at some type of conclusion that you know kind of left everyone satisfied in a way, um, and um, I, I think I think that it's a it's a real shame because while there's you know I think it's it is important not to um, not to gloss over the differences. Um, I think that that what people have in common should receive as much attention, if not more attention, than what they have, than what they disagree, what they disagree upon. And um, I think it it only serves really to magnify tension if uh, if you really want to bridge a gap or solve a problem. Um, you're not going to get very far by showing how the two extremes both look silly you you you're going to work on the the common ground uh, try to find a a solution that actually works for most people or works for the two parties or whatever it is that is is, you know 
if I can jump in right through, uh, like as you're talking, like there are two things occur to me. Uh, one is that early on in your reply, you made the point that the, the, the parent function of the uh, a good deal of the media is not to deliver something which is truthful or useful, but rather to simply sustain your engagement for the perpetuation of the institution itself. And I think that this is a problem with almost any institution that it can become possessed by the logic of its perpetuation. And that logic will actually tend to lead it increasingly in a direction of distortion. Why? Because institutions are arrayed to solve a problem. That means that um, if the problem is solved, their need will be vacated and they will then be dissolved. And uh, so there is then built in a very sort of on a very like deep level, uh, a corrupted tendency within any organization to begin to fall away from the solutions to which it was uh, they were originally committed, and it can happen gradually, and and, and in ways which aren't necessarily entirely uh, uh, conscious or aware. Whether you're talking about media or institutional medicine or education you arrive at a, at a paradox where organizations that were originally intended to deliver uh, truth or health or learning end up undermining those very objectives. And this is something that perhaps should be put more into the, the, the center of our conversation. The, the second thing which uh, occurred to me and what, as you're talking, is how important it is to clarify why any given uh, conversation is happening or what's motivating a person in a given conversation. Because, uh, you know, like if people are really committed to solving a problem, then uh, it can be impressive the, the the manner in which people can can drop a lot of emotional baggage quickly, right? But the issue arises that people don't always enter into those conversations with the mutual aim of solving the problem. There are oftentimes latent agendas that are directing the conversational decisions of the participants or interlocutors in a way which are at odds with the solution of a problem. And I don't know, uh, it, well, it seems that like we almost have to heighten the, the emotional sophistication of our cultural discourse to get beyond uh, that second, and uh, perhaps in a way, uh, more more challenging issue. Yeah, I, so that, that, that's a lot. There's a lot there. I know, but just to hand it back to you. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I would agree with with that statement. Um, I think that 
quite often I, I think the current, you know, and I, I'm reluctant. This is a side note. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I always say current or, you know, I, I will reference, you know, the, the most recent times or current times, though. I don't know. I don't know that things have ever actually been that much different. Maybe uh, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I do think things will head in, in a direction, but I also think that there was, you know, there's never really been much of a time when there wasn't, um, controversy of some sort or um you know political or religious um disagreement or what what have you so but regardless um i'll just say the world i I can i can only really speak experientially in regards to the to the world to the time and place that i've lived in so what i will say is that with um with the presentation of any, um, you know, uh, problem that faces, you know, society or problem that faces the world. Um, I, I often feel like it's, I, I usually feel like a lot of conversations, I feel like most conversations begin in, in a way they almost begin with a slight. I feel like most conversations that I notice that re- regard, you know, politics, for example, or uh, you know, uh, say climate change, or you know, anything that you would kind of dub as a quote serious topic, you know, um, it, it it almost always seems to start with some type of a, a slight. So it, it, rather than acknowledging some type of common ground or like what we can, what we can, are can and are able to do. It often seems like the first, uh, the, the, the conversation is opened with a jab at why the other side's idea won't work or why the other side is silly. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, um, because, you know, I think as you had said before, you know, if, if you, if you really want to, you know, make progress, um, if you really want to bridge a connection and, and work with people to uh, to solve a problem or make things better in a place, in a time, um, you're not going to get very far by walking into the room and calling someone you know silly uh, or saying that they're that they're you know a quack or whatever you fill in the blank. Um, in fact, that's it's, it's almost about the worst thing you could do. Uh, that that should be the last thing that you would that you would say. And I. I feel like it almost always starts with some something that's designed, maybe even if it's uh, un- unintentionally, but it, it almost seems uh, at its core to be designed to elicit uh, an emotional response, an, almost an, an, a, a one of offense. Um, and I feel like that's uh, that's something that we'll we'll have to overcome if we really want to solve a lot of the problems facing us today. Is that we. We kind of have to learn to stop calling the quote other side silly because um, there certainly is silliness on probably any side. Um, but, you know, you can't let that be your focus. If you're trying to get across a river, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to figure no, out how to get there. You can't spend all your time cool. talking. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that that's really quite astute observation 
with which you opened that that uh, and, and it, it conforms it squares with my experience as well that virtually any uh, or the vast majority of politically charged conversations open with a very pejorative tone, you know, a very um, ready dismissal of the opposition. And, and, and that is precisely alienating. It precisely undercuts the possibility of, of, of movement forward. Uh, that's step one. So, um, you know, how does one one move beyond that? And yeah, and this is you know, this this connects also, and this is sort of like you does it. It sort of builds on what you're saying, uh, but it also occurs to me that it has to do with like our conversational styles in our culture, and or uh, and. One thing that I think is really poisonous, and this is an odd thing to import at this junction, but I think it's, it connects, is, is gossip, right? Where we, you know, we gossip, and uh, there's there's something very pernicious about that particular kind of talk to which none of us are immune, right? But which correlates, I think, pretty strongly with what's happening in political conversations where we move very quickly to insult or dismiss the others um, on the other side of the, the proverbial aisle, right? So, I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Um, I, I will not deny, and perhaps I need a, an example, or uh, I will not deny that gossip, I think, is part of the problem. It's kind of... Uh, it, um, it can be very problematic, although I don't know. It's not the first thing that comes to mind um, when I think of this phenomenon occurring. Um, what I do think of is kind of like the getting back to the media. It's kind of like the the almost tabloid-esque um, statements. Um, it's almost I, – I, I think it's almost like a, a way of avoiding – maybe legal ramifications. So if I can say, you know, I, I, I can't be, you know, um, slighted for uh, uh, libel or slander if I make the statement, oh, this politician, you know, if I, if I pose it as a question, was this politician involved in such and such scandal? That's not really, that's a, merely a question. It's not a statement that they, but it, you know, so uh, you know, I can't I can't come out and say, you know, this poli politician X was involved in, you know, scandal Y. I can only if I pose it as a question, then I've kind of absolved myself from having really, quote, made a statement. But we all know where I've directed your attention and where I've directed your imagination. Um, and I, I don't know that it's the exact same thing as gossip, but it's it's it has the same intent, I believe. Um and and gossip gossip can be well, you know it, 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 it can spiral out of control, um, you know, um, it, it, one inference made from, you know, another, and, and pretty soon you've you've really snowballed something um, into into something much larger. Well, I think the other thing that I'm thinking about the other sort of parallel that happens with gossip and. Uh, 
I mean, there, there's a lot. I think there's definitely a lot of connections. Um, you ask, like, well, why do people gossip, right? Superficially, well, like, at first blush, I think, you know, people gossip because it gives them a point of solidarity. Like, when you're gossiping with someone, you have a kind of common enemy in the person of whom you tend to be gossiping. So this this gives a sense of, of comfort and surety and connection. It does so at the willing expense of someone who is not present to the conversation. Um, and likely I, I feel a similar sort of psychodynamic is at hand in lots of political conversation in the, the media discourse where uh, there is a kind of superficial surety that can be derived by unifying under the banner of dismissing one's political opposition for whatever reason. And uh, and so it almost becomes a question of, of, of maturity, you know, and maturing beyond the need for this. Well, I, I shouldn't say that we need to mature beyond the need for some kind of uh, surety or certitude in regard to attaining social connection, but we should... I think mature beyond the need to rely on strategies for social or on trying to build social connection on bases which themselves are really sort of structurally violent to begin. Yeah, yeah. I w- Does that help clarify maybe the analogy toward? Which yeah, I think it's. I think it's it 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 strengthens it. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it, one thing I guess I can say, it seems like increasingly, and I would say I've seen this, you know, uh, probably within the last uh, maybe five years or that maybe I've just been paying more attention. I don't know. That's why it's tough to say. I make these statements cautiously. Um, right. I mean, that's another question, yeah. right? Like, there's always a tendency to remain right. the yeah. path. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something. Right. Like yeah. I mean, when I was during the 2008 financial crisis, um, I was in college. I think I was a, uh, well, I've been like a sophomore in college. And I didn't really didn't even know that was going on until like six years later after I graduated college and I was, you know, buying a house and houses were cheap. Um, I, but literally I did not know that there was such a thing as a housing you know, uh, uh, you know, a problem with the with the housing market uh, that there was a housing bubble uh, cr- uh, crash, a mortgage crash. Um, did, did was not even aware of that when I was you know, tw- you know, twenty years old because it wasn't on my radar. So I, you know, I'm, I'm like that's as an example. I'm hesitant to say that you know I may just be more aware of current events as a you know now that I'm 32. But regardless. Um, I feel like, I guess I can say, I feel like increasingly within the past, I'd say five years, I think the polarization has almost, um, it's driven people, it it almost seems to me like there's more cohesion, if I use that word loosely, uh, there's more cohesion among people 
groups that form because they are opposed to something or they dislike something as, rather than because they are for something or because they, you know, are promoting something. Um, the most, uh, well, it, it, and I'll say this, I, we can, you know, kind of skip off it after I say it, but, um, you know, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not really a, a Trump supporter myself, but, you know, I feel like, you know, you, there's so many groups of people who, um, you know, they, they bond simply ba based upon disliking him. Um, and I can understand that. Um, but um, it's almost like a, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is what I'm reiterating, reiterating is it, 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 and I don't exclude myself from this phenomenon, but it's disheartening to see um, people, you know, forming um, social, um, uh, social groups or um, social uh, ties based upon being in opposition to something. Um, it, it would be, um, I'd say more optimistic. I would feel more optimistic if I, I saw more um, cohesion for the sake of promoting something as opposed to tearing it down. Um, and I know that there's a lot there loaded and I, I didn't want to bring uh, Trump into it. It was just the first thing that came to my mind, you know. Well, but it's, it's absolutely germane to the conversation. And mm -hmm. everything in the conversation. Uh, actually, I was reminded uh, earlier this evening. I was speaking with another friend of mine, and my friend Matt when, reminded me of this remark um, of Hannah Arendt, uh, who is a very interesting thinker, uh, most famous for um, uh, her work around the uh, Nuremberg trials. Uh, she has a a book uh, where she uh, talks about the thesis, the banality of evil, and that what's really characteristic of evil is not this heroic or cosmic monstrosity, as uh, we sometimes sort of paint it, but it's incredibly sort of ordinary passivity, and it's 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 uh, sort of petty smallness, uh, almost exemplified in the attitude of, 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 of the bureaucrat, right? The, the, the real evil is a departure from uh, rational or conscious engagement. And it's sort of, it doesn't mean it can't have a kind of weird sophistication of its own, but ultimately there's a, just a, an ignoble smallness to it. So anyway, the reason I brought up a rent wasn't, well, sort of related to that, because what she also talks about in her thought is that what really makes fascism possible, when fascism really thrives, is when it can identify a singular scoundrel upon which to direct its venom, right? And that's really what you have in terms of people unifying on the basis of animus against Trump, is that they themselves, ironically, given their typical 
loathing of fascism are actually directing themselves on a very fascist current because by directing themselves oppositionally, what they've done is they have allowed kind of like the bottom to be taken out from under them with respect to the uh, positioning of positive values and positive commitments and absent positive values, positive commitments, constructive commitments, you become far more open to manipulation, far more susceptible to compliance with uh, imperatives that are oftentimes not only against your own interests, they often very often uh, at odds with, I would say, even like a broader um, moral recommendation. So I, you know, share your distress at the extent to which on the so-called left of America, you have this uh, tendency to, to, to close ranks on the basis of opposition to a, to a personality, right? Because what it means is that they've set themselves up to become agents of a, of a kind of new fascism. And, uh, you know, the, the irony of that development does not, does not escape me. So, um, and it, it connects, I think, well, I mean, so, 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 so I think it, it, it connects, and I think that you're bringing uh, Trump and the, the, the dynamics around him uh, into the fold uh, directly, you know, it connects directly with what right. we're, we're yeah. talking and about, right? And most of the conversation is, has, so far has been on a rather abstract level, but that abstraction should not sort of, you know, I mean, doesn't mean it isn't relevant. It's relevant precisely because it connects two concrete instances like this. Right, and, and, and to reiterate, like I was saying, I mean, you know, I, I don't identify, um, you know, as a, as a, as a Trump uh, supporter by any means. Um, and... Nor I, to be quite, to be quite uh, clear. In fact, I, I think his administration is, 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 is ignoble and uh incompetent and um and, and and guilty of much perfidy but you see you know the, the world is like a mixed place right you know it's just it's just it's it's a bit messy right so it's it, uh you get into these like bizarre situations where you have to you know navigate uh ambiguity navigate incertitude and uh, that's that's just you know it's just yeah messy. It, it, it's messy. it is it is messy and it, you know so like this actually like feeds into like we're coming up on time here right because we've been talking for about a little bit more than forty seven minutes uh, so I hesitate to like open up a, another can of worms right. Um, and so, but let's just, you know, I mean, what you have is a situation where, where all of this controversy around Trump cannot be isolated from other things going on. For example, uh, you have this situation with the uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the the virus. Um, 
uh, the SARS uh, COVID 19 virus and its um, reported prop, uh, uh, profusion through the population and the response to it. And that's like a whole sort of thwarted mess, right? But then you have like this, you have like, I mean, frankly, to put my position, frankly, the, the, the uh, situation has been, the response to the situation has been most troubling in the extent to which has been exploited to implement measures that are, uh, besides oftentimes being inept, often sort of feed or create possibilities for like really politically troubling precedents. Okay, I'm, I'm putting things in a, in, a, in a muted fashion, right? So then you have like this bizarre situation where you have to make a decision between, uh, you know, I want to say supporting Trump, but at least appreciating that the Trump administration did not resort to uh, certain draconian positions in a way where a more sort of proto-democratic uh, um, administration might have, right? And that's like insane that I'm even saying that because as I already stated, I find that, like for example, the Trump administration's behavior on border issues is, is reprehensible. Mm -hmm. This is one example, right? But What's also reprehensible is the idea that that everyone shouldn't be walking mm -hmm. around with a diaper on their face. All right, so, um, and I mean, I'm being a bit, I'm being a bit, I'm, I'm, I, I confess that I'm being a bit charged there. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, I, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of having perpetrated something which I, I, mm -hmm. I cited as problematic. Uh, raising a political question in an emotionally charged way. For that, I I apologize. All right. So um, that apology having been been laid. Uh, um, well, <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Right. You know, but um, it just comes back to things are just a mess. Just a mess, and there's just like it's just it's well, just a, just yeah. Anyway, and uh, I guess to finish on a confident point, the one thing that, that navigation of the mess requires is, is finding the maturity to, like, talk about these things in a more open and nuanced way. And, and uh, we all need to work on Obviously, I need to work on that mm. myself, right? You know, well, but anyway, yeah, so we're I mean, going back. Sorry. To go, to go back to uh, kind of what I was saying about I think, you know, like the, the um, hyper-focus on uh, Trump, for example, and it's, a, it's not to say that, the, you know, he shouldn't be a part of the news, part of the conversation. He, de he definitely is, but uh, should be a part of the conversation. Um, but um, there's a hyper-focus, and I think, I think that w to identify a, as you said, a single scoundrel or a single scapegoat or whatever you want to call it, that we can direct our energies and our attentions to um i i i think that that speaks to um i think in addition to you're saying it's the um the 
that creating a situ situation that is uh, a climate that is ripe for the you know rise of fascism, which might be a problematic word, or we could say just authoritarianism. Um, in addition to that, I, I think the other side of that coin is that it, what it really speaks to is the, the demonization of a single person or a single group. Uh, what, the, what it really speaks to is a, a feeling of powerlessness among um, a society or at least groups of members of society. Um, I, I think that um, while you could always, you know, maybe resent someone or dislike someone, I think the extent to which we see the demonization and not just of Trump, he's just the first example and probably the most obvious example that comes to mind. I, I think it speaks to a degree of, fe of a feeling of powerlessness because, um, you know, people right now, I think um, they need a, a, they almost need a, a target for their distress and their, um, you know, uh, for their frustration. Um, so, yeah. And quite frankly, quite frankly, they, they feel alienated by the legal system, the political system. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a perfect example of what we saw, you know, today, for example, um, with the, with the, um, uh, the, uh, Trump supporters who had, uh, you know, broken into the Capitol building, I believe it was and mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know, like had a party in there for, I don't know how long they were in there before they were apprehended, but, um, regardless, I mean, you know, th that kind of thing doesn't happen you know, generally among groups of people who feel that they have an actual degree of uh, political engagement or um, an actual uh, degree of, you know, um, participation in, in what's going on around them. You know, that's the type of thing you see from, you know, I guess for lack of a better way to put it out, a, a caged animal, if you will. Um, so I just uh, want to like, I mean, I agree. I mean, just to unpack what you're saying, but just a bit, right? Okay, and we're speaking off the cuff, right? Um, because what you have there is kind of the complementary, or the you know, so you have the the uh, people on the on one side concentrated or focused on a singular person in Trump uh, oppositionally, and then you have the the supporters. In both cases, what you have is a kind of myopia, which emerges that is symptomatic of a sense of desperation. I think the desperation is perhaps more keenly felt on those who support Trump, right? Now, there is something else. At, least, like, at least right now, yes. At least at the moment, right? And then there is something else. Yeah, four, four years ago, the, there was the other side of the coin, you know, when he had won. Um, I mean, really, none of these formulations are adequate because all these formulations – are tempting us to kind of see things in a binary lens, and and they're, they're really to say the least. Neither A nor B. Okay, that that's something I could say. If you've given this A, not A, A or B kind of framing, then you I can say that you are almost, I would say you're almost certainly being given an inadequate framing, right? Um, because the, the, the world just doesn't work like that okay it's things are just so much more complicated and uh, in this situation what you have is both sides feeding into uh, an inadequate narrative 
right? Both of their narratives are inadequate. The other thing I just wanted to point out was that you also have a tendency to, to conflating or reducing um, groups that can be very different uh, <clears throat> under one umbrella, right? So um, you have people who are deeply opposed. You know, I, w- I would say that I am, you know, opposed broadly to every to to you know what the Trump administration represents. Okay, but I'm a person of very far left political orientation, and uh, as a consequence, am similarly very opposed to many of the things which the Democratic Party represents, because the Democratic Party is in very many ways an incredibly reactionary party uh, committed to positions that are uh, really antithetical to a truly liberating emancipatory project. Um, But I would be oftentimes, and I knew myself as an example, I apologize for that, right, but it's just a happenstance. It's not that not because I'm just an example. I can provide you other examples. What happens is that people will be you know, will reduce you to one or the other term, right? Oh, well, you're opposed uh, to the Democratic Party, therefore you must be a Trump supporter. Or you're opposed to Trump, therefore you must be a Democrat. And in both cases, you're just way off the mark. And I'm just one example. There are legions of examples of people who are – then sort of put into a category that just is, does not represent who or what they are. Right. It's binary. It's reductive. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and that just speaks to, um, you know, that kind of really ties all the way back into what we were talking about with institutions and how they're really ultimately, um, you know, uh, it, at least, it's probably unintentional or unconscious, but ultimately they serve the purpose to perpetuate themselves. Um, ideally, you know, if you were to set up a government, um, it probably, uh, it wouldn't be needed after a while. Um, I, I guess at least in an ideal world. Um, right. Well, I mean that we should, Right, you know, I mean that's very uh, Thoreauian, right? That's uh, it, uh, opening lines of uh, his uh, famed essay on civil disobedience. I think it's uh, the government is best, which governs least, and uh, which means, in a sense, that the best government is no government at all. And maybe one day we'll be ready for that. So hey, we are coming up at the top of the hour. We got like less than a minute left. Uh, we could run a little bit over, but did you want to maybe just offer some concluding remarks, Stephen? Um, yeah, I would say um, that, uh, you know, in, in all of this, um, I saw a quote recently. I, I often think in quotes that may also be reductive, but I think if it if it can help you frame things at least for a moment then it's helpful uh i i would i would uh conclude by saying that um 
uh, a quote that I heard recently was that the 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 critics a con- the, the the critics the constructive critics are the true optimists um and i think that um uh, ultimately um you know if you uh are willing to to take a risk and uh, uh criticize uh w- without without the intent of putting someone down or making them look silly or trying to prove that they're wrong and you're right. But if you can truly constructively criticize, uh, that is indicative of a a true optimism. And so any energy that might've been, uh, anything that might've been said with a kind of a heated energy, I would say, please see it in that light. Because I think that uh, that's really what, what, uh, I think Tom and I will both identify as optimists. And I think ultimately this is a conversation of optimism. I, 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 uh, I welcome and, uh, second that, that, that notion, right. You know, that, that, you know, you've got to, the real optimism is willing to see it all. And that means sometimes it includes making uncomfortable assertions because there's a courage and a faith in one's ability to see it all and to rise above it as such. And a courage in your audience or your opponent or your listener. Yes. So I guess we'll wrap it up there. Stephen, thank you for this, in a sense, inaugural uh, conversation. So uh, thank, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I, I was happy to do it. We'll have to do a follow-up here in the near future. All right, man. I'll catch you later. Thank you guys all for listening. I hope you were uh, stimulated in a positive way by the by the exchange. All right. Ciao Take for care. now. Good night. Bye. Bye.